He was waiting for me at the well. He knew who I was and what I would need. Lord, give me a drink of that water. Oh, living water, let it flow through me to everlasting life. Oh, I need a taste of that fountain flowing from heaven. I'll leave my past behind and I can start over again. And I know that I will thirst no more. He knew where I'd been. And he told me all I'd done. But still he loved me anyway. He'll do the same for you. If you'll only ask him to. Just trust him and you'll be forever changed. He's still waiting for you at the well. He knows who you are and what you need. Lord, give me a drink of that water. Oh, the living water. Let it flow through me to everlasting life. Oh, I need a taste of that fountain flowing from heaven. I'll leave my past behind, and I can start over again. And I know that I will thirst no more. Lord, I've been without you for too long. And I realize I need you. want to tell the world about you. Lord, I'm so thankful for your love, your love. Lord, give me a drink of that water, holy living water. Let it flow through me to everlasting life. Lord, I need a taste of that fountain flowing from heaven. I'll leave my past behind, and I can start over again. And I know that I will thirst no more. I can leave my past behind, and I can start over again. And I know that I will thirst no more. Lord, give me a drink of that water, oh, the living water. Let it flow through me to everlasting life. Oh, I need a taste of that fountain flowing from heaven. I'll leave my past behind, and I can start over again. And I know that I will thirst no more.
I can leave my past behind and I can start over again. And I know that I will thirst no more. Well, I like that one. That's a good song. Okay, did you get notes out there? First Peter chapter 4. Anybody need notes? We'll get you fixed up right down here. We'll get her some notes. First Peter 4. Jack needs some notes. He's about to promote to the second grade, so he for sure can keep up with the notes. First Peter chapter 4 tonight. Yeah, we are in session 21 here in First Peter. We're going to do our best to cover verses 7 through 13 tonight. 1 Peter 4. And here we go, verse number 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch under prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Our text tonight's verse number eight, and we're going to take this phrase above all things and find out what it is that the Scripture has for us to see there in that verse and the whole passage. And let's pray. Father, thank you again that we could be here this evening. We thank you for the presence of, of each of your children that's here. And we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We pray that you would bless us in this study now, that we might understand and that we might practice the Word of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse number 7 lays it out, but the end of all things is at hand. And the end is coming. That's what it's saying. Now, this is written in the first century. Uh, this is written in about 63, 64 A.D. And Peter is already, through the Holy Spirit, saying the end of all things is at hand. Now, if you study what we've already looked at here in the book, this letter was written to uh, this group of believers who were strangers and scattered abroad throughout the entire region uh, of the Roman Empire. And Peter is writing a general epistle to them during a time when Christians were being tortured like no time in history. And in fact, uh, Christians were being specifically targeted every day and being killed. And when we see what's going on, that's why it's so alarming to see what's going on in, in ISIS with ISIS right now over in the Middle East, 
because they're going into communities that have been Christian, some of them for 1,800 or 1,900 years, since the first or second century, and uh, since the time of, of the apostles and some of the descendants of the apostles. And they're going in and they're targeting people specifically because they're Christian. And that's what was happening in the reign of Nero. And so Peter is letting them know through these books that he's writing to them or these letters that he's writing to them that the time is at hand. Now the time he's speaking about or alluding to is the destruction of Jerusalem. Within five years, Jerusalem will be entirely destroyed by Titus, the Roman emperor. And uh, Jerusalem is just going to be leveled. And uh, the, the Jews are going to attempt to go to the fortress of Masada to escape. And it's going to be an incredibly rough time there in the history of the Jewish people. And, and so he's letting them know about that. But there's more to verse 7. So we say it in your notes this way. The end of the holy city of Jerusalem was close at hand, but so was the end of persecution and suffering. So it all depends on how you look at things, right? Uh, some people look at going into eternity as, boy, I'm just not ready for that. I don't want that to happen. And some people say, well, if God says it's my time to go, then that means the persecution and suffering has ended. And so verse number 7 gives us a clue on this, but it also says, be sober and watch under prayer. Now what it's saying sober here, it's not just alluding to uh, whether or not we partake in certain substances. What it's talking about is being serious toward God, being serious toward the gifts that he's given us. It's a word that's used throughout the New Testament to describe uh, the the belief that a, a, a Christian would have that Jesus really is coming back. That we live not just because it's a religion and because we have a God and because there's a Jesus, but because we truly do believe, hey, Jesus is coming back and we're going to see him again in like manner as he wins. So we say in your notes as well, <coughs> this goes with verse 7 as well, Death for the believer is the end of all pain and sorrow. Our time on earth is limited, thus we are to watch and pray. Because we don't get very much time on this earth, we're instructed in Scripture to use that time to the best of our ability to serve God with it, to give it to Jesus, to uh, use the gifts that He's calling us and given us with to watch and pray. And so that's Verse number 7. And then we get to this key verse in verse number 8. Because it has a phrase that sticks out. Above all things. So he's already given them all these instructions that we've covered for the last several months. And now he says, above all things, have fervent charity. Now he doesn't just say have fervent charity. He says have fervent charity among yourselves. So among the Christians, among those who are believers, they would have fervent charity in that group especially. Now, a lot of people get confused on this next part. It says, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Isn't that an interesting phrase? 
Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. I want to take you back to 1 Corinthians 13 and see how Paul addresses this same issue. So 1 Corinthians 13 is sometimes called the love chapter. Let's look what he says here in 1 Corinthians 13. Some traits of charity or love. Ivan, you're ringing. I think it's you. He's trying to get it out of his pocket. There we go. We got her? All right, so verse number four now. It reminds me of uh, Sophie's little toy phone in the car. It's the exact same ring. Ring, ring, ring. And then it says, uh, the phone is ringing. There we go. Verse 4, charity suffereth long and is kind. Char charity envieth not. You got him fixed up? Okay. It's Avon. Avon calling. That's a, that's a ways back, right? So, verse number four. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Now, key in on verse number five here. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. And I want you to notice these next few. Thinketh no evil, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So charity does not ever rejoice in someone else's iniquity. Whether it's somebody close to you, or somebody who is an acquaintance of yours, charity or the love of God in you does not seek to gain an advantage through the failures of others. And that's what it means. It thinks no evil, it rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. So when we compare this now with what it says in 1 Peter 4, we understand that we're to have fervent charity because charity covers a multitude of sins. Charity is not a thing that goes deliberately out of the way and says, hey, do you see my brother? He failed. He messed up. Okay? Now, some people say, well, if somebody did something wrong, it has to be broadcast. We have to know about that. And uh, there are obviously instances where in God's Word that happened and where that should happen. But there are also instances in God's Word where love won the day. One of the most interesting stories of this is all the way back in the New Testament. The flood had just taking place, there's a rainbow in the sky, and Noah plants a vineyard. And Noah is way up in years. In fact, he's older than anybody in this room. Uh, he was over 900 years old. So he he'd aged quite a bit. And he planted a vineyard, and he began to drink the grapes, and the grapes had fermented, and, and Noah was drunk. Well, one of his sons, Ham, went in, and instead of covering his father's sin, 
He highlighted his father's sin and became part of his father's sin. Do you remember what Shem and Japheth did, though, if you've ever read the passage? They went in backward with the covering and covered their father and walked out. Okay? They didn't highlight his sin. And their love for him said, we know he made a mistake. We know it shouldn't have happened this way. But because we love him, we're not going to highlight his sin. And that's what this is talking about. Charity covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't take what my brother in Christ has done wrong and I, and I inflate it. And, and people get this strange idea. I don't even know where it comes from. Well, I do know where it comes from. It comes from Satan. Okay? If I drag my brother down, then it makes me look better. It's a fable. It's not true. It's never happened that way once ever. In fact, when you drag your brother down, other people look at you and they lose respect for you. Because charity doesn't act that way. God's love thinks no evil and it doesn't beat up on people when they're down. It restores them through grace. And so this is a big verse for us here in verse number 8. In fact, we say in your notes, if I believe that God forgives all of my sins then I must also believe he forgives the sins of my brother or my sister. Now, this is a big part of this. This is why it's above all things. Okay? Now, this whole deal of forgiveness and resentment and bitterness creeps into the Christian life, and we have to be very careful that we don't allow that root of bitterness to grow, but that we pull it out and we understand there's nothing that that person has done to me that I didn't do to Jesus Christ when I put him on the cross. And, and so the ground becomes level at the foot of the cross in this area of forgiveness and love. Now, there are specific things that Scripture teaches us where a sin has to be called out. Okay, you remember another story in the Old Testament. Uh, Achan had stolen a Babylonian garment and some shekels and, and all sorts of things from Jericho. And he hid it underneath his tent. And uh, the men went into Ai, and 36 men didn't come home. They were killed in Ai. And uh, Moses rent his clothes, and all the people came up to Moses and said, we never should have come out here. This is the dumbest idea in the world. And God said to Moses, get up, there's sin in the camp. And so God wanted this sin to be highlighted because it was an unrepentant person. And, and so they had to take the tribe, and they had to take the family, and finally they had to take Achan. And Achan had to be called out specifically for his sin. But you know, if somebody has done wrong towards you, and, or you think they've done wrong, they've offended you in some way, and you go to them with that, and that relationship is restored, that's where God wants us to overlook that. Okay, look at Matthew 18, and I'll show you this. Jesus gave these first instructions to the local church, um, and these are really the, still the foundational instruction, instruction that we would go by for church discipline, given by Jesus here in the first church that he started with his disciples. Look what he says in Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault, between thee and him alone. 
If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now what happens to his fault? Well, it's covered. It's covered by charity. What that means is I don't ever have to go and broadcast what he did. It's been solved. It's been forgiven. The issue has been restored by Jesus Christ. It's only when that doesn't get solved that we continue. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And the truth is, is sometimes he might hear the witnesses. And if he hears them, the issue should stop there. Now, there's another step that if he still won't hear, then it goes before the church and it becomes a public interaction or a public sin. So Peter's saying, look, do your best to keep short accounts. Do your best to keep your relationships right. And when you do that, charity covers a multitude of sins. You know, there are things that all of us have done that the people who love us the most would never go out and tell on a loudspeaker. They would never go out and say, if you only knew what he, if you only knew what she. Why? Because love has covered that. Love has covered that. The sin has been washed away by the blood of Jesus and the restoration has taken place in the body of Christ. And so this is a huge issue that Peter wrote about, and I think it's so pertinent for us. We say also in your notes about this, love is the very proof of our profession as Christ followers. If we say that we know Christ, we will love the brethren. Okay? And this is one of those things with uh, well, I've been in churches before. And it just makes me sick to my stomach to even think about it or hear about it. But I've heard pastors get up in the pulpit in church and say, a person came in to me for counseling this week and blah, 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 and here he's doing this or she's doing that. And I'm telling you what, just the anger that rises up in me when I hear something like that. If somebody came to you for counseling, shut your trap. God allowed them to come to you so that you can practice 1 Peter chapter 4. So that you can love them back to restoration, not so that you can use their story as an illustration in your message. There are plenty of illustrations. It's called the Bible. God already gave them to us. So we've got to be very careful, even as saints of God, that when somebody comes to us with an issue, and not, not a life-threatening issue, not, I'm not talking about something that's illegal or some type, type of plutonium spiritually there. What I'm talking about is something that could wound that person if we share it. And if they say, listen, will you pray about this? God is working on my heart about it, but I'm struggling with this issue. You know what you ought to do? You ought to do what they ask. You ought to pray about it. It's not something to share. It's not something to speak around. And that is the proof of our profession. Jesus said, By this shall all men know to you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. And now we find out that love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus' love on the cross covers all sin. And the love we have for each other covers a multitude of sins. 
Right? Every once in a while we tell stories on our kids when they do something dumb or something funny. And we try to see it as a humorous thing, right? But you know, I would never get up here and uh, tell something one of my kids did that I know was hurtful or embarrassing to them. Because I, I, I want, as a father, to cover that, okay? Now, if Cody's welding and leans over and burns, you know, his arm or something, I'd tell about that, right, Bill? Um, but if, if there's a sin involved, then we as believers in Christ, we're instructed here in verse 8. Now, verse 9 is tied right to this, and it's so interesting. Here's what it says in verse 9. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. This is so interesting. Because we see hospitality often as this thing that we do just for fun. Maybe we'll have a few people over and we'll have a barbecue, we'll have fellowship. It's not what this is talking about. It's not at all what this is talking about. Now, we say in your notes, the hospitality mentioned here was not an optional but a necessary and often costly exercise. This hospitality was, I'm going to have to take a stranger in who's a saint of God who just got expelled from this village or this city because he was about to be beheaded by Nero. That's the hospitality we're talking about. Okay, The hospitality we're talking about is, <coughs> there's a poor widow in the church and she doesn't have anybody to take care of her, and she has no family, and so now she's going to come and live with me. <clears throat> That's hospitality. This is New Testament hospitality. It was practiced in the early church in Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5, and they called it having all things in common and providing for the needs of the body of Christ. And now Peter calls it this word hospitality. And it's interesting that he says to use it without Grudging. Now, what he meant by that was when you use hospitality and when you're kind to other people, it's very easy to get cynical if they're not thankful enough or if they don't return some type of favor to you or if they're never kind back to you. It's easy to become cynical about the whole process of hospitality. I don't know this to be true. It's absolutely true. But what Peter is saying is, just as you're going to love each other enough to cover a multitude of sins, you should be hospitable as Jesus would have been with no expectation in return. So you don't grudge and you don't complain about your own hospitality towards somebody. You give as you've given unto Jesus a cup of cold water in His name, and he blesses you for it. And so this is an interesting instruction here in verse 9. Then we get into a different section here in the chapter. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. Okay, so we're talking here about the gift. Yeah, this is why many Bible scholars believe um, that the Holy Spirit of God only gives one spiritual gift to every believer. Some people believe that the Holy Spirit gives several spiritual gifts to believers. And because of this verse, I probably would be of the opinion that maybe it is a singular gift. And maybe God gives you some talents or some things you're born with that you're more proficient at. 
but that there's only one spiritual gift that you've been blessed with. Now, the, the opposite theory on this is the, the parable of the talents, where he gave one five and one three and one one, or five two and one, right? And, and so some people think it's that way. But whatever you think, this verse says, as every man hath received the gift. And this is not the gift of salvation. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the gift, or with the gifts, whichever, because it's corporate, the gifts of the Spirit are not meant for individual consumption, but for the entire body of believers. Okay? Do you ever have, uh, if you had more than one kid and, and ever at Christmas, uh, do you ever have where two of your kids got a package from grandma or something, but it had both their names on it? Well, that's the end of the world for some families, right? Because now you've got this situation where you've got two kids who have a gift from the same person, and they actually have to share the gift. And who's going to play with it first? Right? And that's really the key on Christmas, because once they've played with it one time at Christmas, usually it goes into a closet and nobody ever sees it again. So, you know, that's how it is. And then, and then they start playing with the wrapping paper and the boxes. And, and, uh, but you've got this gift and you're supposed to share it. Now, when we see spiritual gifts in our own lives, there are so many people who take that gift and who use it to their own personal advantage instead of to the advantage of the entire body of Christ. And God did not give you the gift of mercy or ruling or giving or prophecy or whatever he's given you to inflate yourself or to promote yourself. He gave it to you to encourage the body of Christ. So that's what verse 10 is talking about. Now, let's go into verse number 11. It continues this thought. If any man speak, so this would be somebody with the gift of prophecy, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man ministers, the gift of ministry, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things, no matter the gift, may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we say in your notes, we have no right to take the gifts and callings of God and hold them for ourselves. They are offered to bring glory to Jesus. This is what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are all about within the body of Christ. We're not supposed to go and hide it in the tent. We're not supposed to go and dig a hole and put it in the ground and cover it up. We're supposed to figure out how God has gifted us and use it in the body of Christ, and use it always for His glory. So that's verse number 11. Now we get to the word amen there, and we understand that this section has now ended, and we're going to enter even to another section. And this is where we'll spend a few minutes as we close tonight. So verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery, fiery trial which is to try you. Notice he didn't say the fiery trial that has tried you. He says concerning the fire, fiery trial that is to try you. So he, what he's saying is this is about to happen. In your life, you're about to face a fiery trial. And when it happens, don't act as though some strange thing happened unto you. Now, we have taken this instruction, of course, we're a couple thousand years later almost, 
and we're still using it as a principle of God's Word today. These people were given it fresh, and the fiery trial that was coming was going to be the destruction of Jerusalem and the entire annihilation of, of really the Jewish civilization where they had to scatter abroad throughout the world. And they would be scattered abroad for almost 1,900 years. So that's what this verse is talking about. That's a pretty fiery trial, right? If your family and your tribe and everything about you is dispersed for 1,900 years, that's a fiery trial that's going to be coming. Now, when we think of it as a fiery trial, we often think of the things within our lives or families that are going on, and we would do right to think that. We say this in your notes. Some people are surprised when trials arrive at their doorstep, thinking that God's children should be immune. Right? Think, boy, this shouldn't happen to any of God's children. And that's the argument that was made by Job's three friends. Right? Job, if you were really following God, you wouldn't have boils all over your body. Job, if you really loved God, your sheep wouldn't have all been killed. Job, if you really loved God, your ten kids wouldn't have been killed in that storm. And that's the argument that was made by all those guys. And what Jesus said is this. You know that tower that fell last week in Siloam and those 13 people died? Do you think that they were sinners above anybody else? Nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. See, Jesus put in the perspective that pain, trouble, sorrow happened to every one of the human race because of Adam's sin and because we're sinners. And sometimes there's a specific sin in our lives that causes a trial, but there are other times when our trials are just trials. And we're not supposed to read anything strange into them. We're not supposed to go to God and say, God, you shouldn't have let this happen to me. I thought I was one of your children. And people in the Word of God did it. And even, have you ever read about Hezekiah? He kind of got away with it. Right? Read about Hezekiah. Isaiah comes to him and says, Okay, Hezekiah. Put your house in order, uh, you're going to die. And Hezekiah puts his face to the wall and begins to pray and says, God, what are you talking about? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know how committed I am? And God says, okay, we'll give you 15 more years. And then the sundial went backward 10 degrees just to prove that it was going to happen. And, and so we see some of that in the Word of God. But we also see pain, sorrow, and suffering to the people of God, to the dear saints who had become martyrs in the book of Revelation, and most of all, to Jesus Christ himself. That's what 1 Peter is written about. It's written about Jesus Christ's sufferings and how we are partakers of suffering with him. And uh, that's what verse 13 gets into. So let's say this in your notes. Some people are surprised. Did I say that already? When trials arrive at their doorstep, thinking that God's children should be immune. And then verse 13, But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. 
that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So, it comes down to your point of view on suffering. If you think suffering is a curse from God in your life, you won't be a partaker of Christ's glory. If you think that suffering is some strange thing that never should have happened to you because you're one of the best children of God there's ever been, then your perspective is wrong. But if suffering comes into your life and you rejoice, and you say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that I get to suffer for you, with you, through you, by you then you get to be what's called a partaker of Christ's suffering. You get to be a part of his glory. And then it says, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now, I'm just imagining that that joy is not just for the here and now. That joy extends for all eternity. There's going to be people who are going to be in heaven for all eternity, who are going to thank, be thankful again and again and again for the sufferings they, they, they had where they got to suffer with Christ, where they got to be a partaker of His sufferings. Now, this is not an instruction for us to go out and purposely wound ourselves. This is not an instruction for us to go out and try to find suffering, okay? Uh, try deliberately to become martyrs in some fashion. This is saying as life comes your way and as God signs off on what's happening because He loves you and He cares about you and He says, I'm going to work all things together for your good. And when it comes our way, when we say, God, I'm not going to act like I'm surprised because you're my God and you're not surprised, then we become partakers of His suffering and it brings glory and it brings joy into our lives. And so we say lastly in your notes, when the eye of faith is fixed upon Christ's suffering. The sufferer becomes a partaker of His glory and exceeding joy. And our pain down here is just for a little while. And then, as the Bible says, we fly away. That's where the song comes from. I'll fly away, oh glory. And uh, by and by, it's going to take place. And, and so on this earth, having that right perspective is so huge. And allowing God to work in you so that you'll have that right perspective. You know, sometimes things aren't exactly the way you want them to be. Have you ever figured that out in life? Isn't that crazy? And you can either go back to that same event or that same habit or that same thing with an attitude that says it's not going to be right today again. Or you can go into it with a different attitude that says no matter what happens, I'm just going to rejoice in Jesus. And uh, I'd ask you to pray with me about this. Our Sunday night services, the attendance has been down lately. It's been way down. I was talking to my staff about it last Monday. I was talking about my, to my wife last Sunday night. And then I talked to God about it on a Tuesday, and he said, you know what, just rejoice with what you have. If there's four people and you're gathered in my name, just rejoice, because I'm in the midst of them. 
And so I determined that I'm going to come to church this Sunday night, and no matter who's here, I'm just going to love God. I'm going to rejoice. I'm not going to keep roll. I'll let God do all that stuff. I'm just going to rejoice. You say, Pastor, it's not suffering. You're in an air conditioning building, and you're standing up there preaching the Word of God. That's not suffering. You're right. It's not suffering. But you don't know how pastors invent suffering for themselves, right? It's kind of like the fish stories, right? I have suffered the greatest. And, and man, you get pastors together, it can get crazy about the suffering stories. But pray with me that I'll have the right perspective on it. Because sometimes we begin to say, if it were this way, then I could rejoice. It's not how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to rejoice no matter what way it is. In fact, the Bible says rejoice evermore. And that's the attitude we're supposed to have. And so pray for each other, encourage each other, and let's love above all things like God wants us to, because charity covers a multitude of sins. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in a closing prayer. Our Father, we thank you for who you are, for your goodness. We thank you that because of you and because of your sufferings, that we can have eternal life. And so I pray that as the fiery trial comes our way, that you would give us perspective, that you might make us partakers of your glory. Help us to uplift each other throughout this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.